This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, I want to tell you about Squarespace. Please do. Are you ready? Okay, great. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They help you showcase your work, sell products and services of all kinds, announce upcoming events or special projects, and so much more. They give you beautiful templates created by world-class designers to help you make your website. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. They have analytics to help you grow in real time. They have built-in search engine optimization so people can actually find your stuff. And there's 24-7 award-winning customer support just in case you find a way to break anything, which you won't because it's Squarespace. Uh, we Our website's on Squarespace. We've been a customer of theirs for a long time. We recommend them. Uh, we made both of our wedding websites on Squarespace Truth. a very long time ago. And when we're we both got still married. married. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if the websites matter, but but for they that. didn't hurt, did they? Didn't hurt, All right, no. everybody. If you want to make your marriage stick, go to squarespace.com/slash/overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Overdue to save ten percent off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com/slash/overdue. Use the offer code Overdue to save ten percent. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig uh, my name is andrew i am the micro machine man sort of this week uh also a different guy who goes uh at the end of every uh, word <laughs> sunday <laughs> sunday sunday i'll be that guy i'll be monster truck announcer guy man i still yeah. think about that monster truck show that i went to <laughs> last year I had a good time. I went, to, I went to a demolition derby in Ohio Ooh. with a couple of people who stuck around with me after the the summer after we graduated. Oh, college. sure. And we went to the uh, Mount Vernon demolition derby, and we just watched some crappy cars beat the crap out of each other. It was pretty good. I would go to one of those when we it's can. Pretty good. Yeah. Put it on the list, Andrew. Put it on the list. If they still, I mean, they're probably going to have even more demo derbies after than they did before. That's true. I heard that the that the just demo we should talk about Palimpsest by Catherine M. Volante in just a second, but I do just want to say I I've heard that maybe demo derbies might be on the way out because like the cars that are good for demo derbies aren't being made anymore. Like cars that what are designed to crunch. Huh. Like are they, modern... so they're too they're too good at crumpling and yeah. and like helping you and your family not die in a car accident. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd go to see like one demo derby where there are a bunch of Hyundai Elantras <laughs> driving around. And there will be only each one other. of but, them. But you need those, yeah, you need those like 80s and early 90s like Dodge sedans with yes. all the corners on them. Uh-huh. Like those those are those are the money cars. Well, if any uh demo derby folks want to get at us, please uh, send us an email. We have information at the end of the show. But this is our book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. And you, the listener, get to enjoy the time we spend together. Um, Andrew, remind us what book that I said that you just read. I read Palimpsest by Catherine M. Valenti. What's a palimpsest? Not in this book, but what is it? Do you know? A palimpsest? And I didn't know this until my mother-in-law told me about it. I would have, <laughs> like, if I'd started researching... I would have found out, but I I found out about it from my mother in law when I she asked what I was reading. And okay, I was like, sure. oh, this book where you 
have sex to get into a secret city. <laughs> and she said a palimpsest is not that. It's what? No, she, a palimpsest is um, it is. So if you are reusing like parchment or some kind of paper and you are like erasing what is on there so you can oh. write new stuff, a palimpsest, I believe, is the like remnant of what's left over hmm. that you can recover. Like if you're I think it's it's a one of the ways that we recover some like classic notes and and texts and things is oh when you like what was written on paper before yeah you do the shading thing that they teach you in like first grade art class sure okay cool it's like it's a code breakers art class i went Mm. to apparently um this was a patreon recommendation from robin thank you robin more information at patreon.com um robin said uh my book suggestion is palimpsest by Catherine m valenti all of her books are beautiful, but this is one of my absolute favorites, and I reread it every year, partially to write down and keep track of street names for a future tattoo. If you're itching for an esoteric, dreamlike, fantastical, and very adult story, Palimpsest might fit might fill that need. Thank you so much. It is all of those things. That is, is a very accurate description of what it is. And um, it is my understanding it also does involve tattoos. It's not just like Robin right, didn't yes. just come up with the tattoo idea here. Yeah, they're not they're not like tattoos in a like a traditional sense, but Uh-oh. that is the form they appear to take. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, what can you tell me about uh, about Catherine and Valenti though? I can tell you that she was born and raised in Seattle, born in nineteen seventy nine. Uh, moved- Home of grunge. Is that what this they, is the grunge of books. Moved to California. I was just blown away by the reflexive nature of home of grunge. That's what Seattle's known for. That's true. Got that flannel. And coffee. Got Nirvana. And that guy coffee, who throws Nirvana. the fish at that market. Um, moved to California and graduated high school at 15, it said. Uh, went to UC San Diego and Edinburgh University. Uh, got a BA in classics, Andrew. Nice. Focus in ma- ancient Greek, though I know you studied uh, Latin. Well, that's we won't hold that against her. Um, more, of a, more of a Latinist myself. <laughs> I of found an interview where she said she was going to study military history, but did a big reading of the Iliad. One of those like twenty-four hours reading it in Greek. There's a bonfire with a goat on a stick, and she was converted to the classics, like you do. That's kind of how it happens. Like you go in for like a Roman history class and you're like, hey, this is kind of the most interesting part of history. Mm. <laughs> Why don't I just specialize in this part? <laughs> I just do this. Um, <laughs> she, uh, and then I think her good at least, reach- I mean, at least in terms of the, the Western. Yes. Sorry, yes. canon. I don't, I don't mean to downplay anybody else's histories, but it's Fair a enough. good, it, I, I found it interesting. Anyway. She drifted away from her M, her MA, whatever she was studying, her MA, that's what her Goodreads profile says. Um, and she her website said she's lived in Japan, Cleveland, Virginia, Chicago, and Melbourne. I appreciate that Cleveland is named in a list of places that are bigger than Cleveland. <laughs> World destinations. Uh, Cleveland has the Rock and Hall of Fame. That's don't, true. Don't you not, Cleveland. Um, she has said she has worked, at, this is a direct from her website, she's worked as a professional fortune teller, telemarketer, private tutor, librarian, waitress, bartender, actress, and statistician, all of which are more or less the same thing. <laughs> if you add all those jobs up and add self-employment tax, you get a fantasy novelist. That's pretty huh. good. Uh <laughs> This book won the Lambda Award for LGBT sci-fi fantasy in 2009. It was also a Hugo nominee. Uh, Her previous, like I think most successful books before that were the Orphan Tales series, 
which won the 2000, one of which won the 2008 Mythopoeic Award for myth-related fantasy writing. We talked about that on the Buried Giant episode. Uh, I found an old blog post she wrote where she coined the term myth punk, or at least is credited <laughs> as coining it. Um, fantasy, like that is riffing on folklore and myth, kind of like, I think the post actually says it's like, Tolkien was doing this when Tolkien wrote his fantasy, but then all a lot of modern Western fantasy that is like Tolkien derived is not playing with the same like, you know, elemental sources of where myth and folklore come from. Sure. Like they don't go all the way back to Beowulf or whatever. Yeah. Is that um, what you mean? Yes. Uh, people may know her best for a book and some sequels. The girl who circumnavigated fairyland in a ship of her own making, which I think started as a, as a Kickstarter or some sort of community funded project. Sounds uh, like a Stieg Larsson book that he, <laughs> that they let him go on a little bit too long. Uh, fans of that series, I think, just refer to it as the Fairyland books. And I think it's like a middle grade or maybe slightly older YA series. When I was reading reviews for this book, uh, especially user reviews on various sites, people often mentioned that they came to her as a writer through that series. Um, I was piqued to know that she had written a Mass Effect Andromeda novel huh. in the Mass Effect universe. Huh. Um, she spoke a little bit in an interview about how she had to submit like multiple stories to see which one got like approved, which feels like she was just playing Mass Effect as well, an yeah, author. Yeah, so I, I guess I wonder whether people who write those like video game books have to be big fans of the games or if they just like if there's just like a series Bible that they get handed and it's like, hey, can you riff on this? She said the interview she was speaking in said that i'm not trying to say that Catherine (laughs) and valenti is any kind of like fake gamer girl i'm just like wondering how she came to the mass effect Uh, the interview didn't make it sound like she was like a big mass effect fan or anything but that they gave her like a loose plot and they were like do treatments on these basic plot points sure uh and then they picked one um and and that that universe is sufficient in size that you can probably do a bunch of that stuff with a bunch of different people without the stories like bumping into each other too bad true uh and in 2018 uh she wrote a novel called space opera i think on a dare it's an intergalactic eurovision contest story okay where sure i've human- seen that rick and morty episode <laughs> humanity must participate and not finish last to be recognized as a like a true civilization in the eyes of the rest of the galaxy which is mm-hmm. that's a fun hook mm-hmm. um i think one of her other recent novels is called like the glass town stories or the glass town game she's got a lot of she has written a bunch of stuff she's one of those yeah. kind of modern fantasy no- uh, novelists and short story writers who is way more prolific than you think even just yeah yeah i really i enjoy getting into the canons of like super prolific sort of middle brow-ish authors mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. that's not meant to be like a, a value judgment it's just it's a type like yeah. author wise i think well and she has said that she likes to bump between genres she uh likes to you know have publishers that are willing to go with her on different types of stories um, you know, certainly when she turned in this one, which is very adult in nature, which I think sure I will be learning about. Um, she was surprised, you know, and, and pleasantly surprised that her publisher was cool with it. It did start as a short story in a collection called Paper Cities. Uh, a friend of hers was like, hey, can you put this? Can you write a story for my collection, please? 
and she was riffing on the idea of like hidden city stories um and she is marveled at what this book gave her um because fairyland the series i mentioned earlier this is from a an interview she did with Fantasy Hive. Uh, Fairyland came out of Palimpsest. It was the protagonist's favorite novel from when she was a little girl. And I ended up writing that, and that's how I got it on the New York Times list. Palimpsest got me my first Hugo nomination, which is the reason that I flew to Australia and met my now husband and father of my child, so my child only exists because of this weird book about bodies. That so much <laughs> has come out of Palimpsest is absolutely crazy that I wrote it for $20, and my present was the Dictionary of Poisonous Plants. Her friend paid her $20 and gave her a book to write a story <laughs> and Boy. that's where this one comes from so okay um i have some other reviews and things you know in reference to the hugo nomination and the and the lambda award and stuff but i want to hear about the book we should take a break first though right yeah let's take a break okay Andrew, this week's show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Ooh, that sounds better and helpful. It is. BetterHelp makes <laughs> professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private online environment in under 24 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. Uh, as a listener, folks will get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that is BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. That sounds real great, Craig. I know we got to get back to talking about books, and I am all I'm all there for it. Like, it's going to be great. But I am not ready to end our break yet. So, like, what can you do to help me with this? I can tell you about our other sponsor, the Book of the Month. Oh, hey, it's an ad and it's about books. Yeah. Book of the <laughs> Month is a super popular and fast-growing on, like, online book service for readers. Uh, their mission is to promote new and emerging authors and help readers discover books they love. The team vets hundreds of books each month and gives readers their choice from a curated selection of new and early release titles so you can spend more time reading and less time researching. I believe the December books include Christina Lauren's In a Holidays, uh, Lisa Cross Smith's This Close to OK, and Daniel Evans' The Office of Historical Collections. And I do think that they also have lists of previous books so that you can go back and look through what they've had before. There's also a skip policy where it's risk-free. You can skip any month, any time, and you will not be charged. And they have the best price for new release hardcover fiction. Does this sound good, Andrew? Sounds great to me. Tell me how I can get a deal on this service. <laughs> for a limited time, you... <laughs> And any of our listeners can get your first book for just $5 with code OVERDUE. That's bookofthemonth.com and enter code OVERDUE for the lowest promo of the year. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Craig. I'd love to know more about this book that we sort of talked about a little while ago but didn't really talk about yet. Mm -hmm. Palimpsest, mm -hmm. the one that you read. Yes. So how often do you put down a book that you finish for the show and you're like, I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> 
but I do have to talk about it for at least 45 minutes. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? The, I think the last one of those, what was that book by the South? And I want, and I want it while you vamp here, I want to be clear. I don't, I don't mean I didn't like that and I have to figure out a way to couch that. I mean, like. I literally don't know if that was good or not because mm. there are some things that worked for me and other things that didn't, but were the things that didn't work because I'm too stupid <laughs> or reading it too fast or, you know? Yeah. I'm looking. I think I've, I think I've come around to being like really respectful and interested in what it's doing. Sure. Even if, as a like especially if i'm going for like fantasy fiction especially if 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 i want something a little bit more plot driven when i'm in that genre yeah like that it's not exactly my cup of tea normally but it is it's doing a lot of really unique interesting and sometimes strange and uncomfortable things yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to an episode we did back in july the hour of the star which was that kind of spare sort of dreamy um bizarre book um by clarice Lispector. and I, my way into talking about it was like it was this renowned brazilian author who i never heard of and so i kind of right, just need sure. to be like okay what is she up to and then you know, maybe we'll talk about whether or not it worked for me. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious as to what this book is up to. <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess if you're, if I were gonna find an author hook to kind of get into it, it sounds like, um, it sounds like Valenti's really interested in playing around with genres and, and not mm. always like respecting the boundaries between sure. different genres. And so maybe that's where you get to a book like Palimpsest. Let me lay out the like high level like here's the concept that the book is playing with please is there is the city named palimpsest is sort of it sort of exists in dreams but there are also only like very limited ways that you can get into it like you could physically get into the city from the world that you and i live in right now okay from the Um, from earth to whatever the planet we live in in the marvel universe or whatever it's called our earth that's our where, earth okay to palimpsest and, and it's sort of implied that there there is world outside of palimpsest like Pal- it's it, and and we don't know that palimpsest is on some other planet or like some other in some other dimension it's not this is one of the many points on which the book is very dreamy and at the risk of overusing a descriptor that I think we maybe use anytime anything gets a little weird, a little magical realism. Me, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, you tell me. It sounds like a Narnia thing. It sounds like um, it sounds it's like-, like Narnia. But what if what if Lucy and Edmund had to do sex to each other to no. get into Narnia? Good. This is, I mean, this is the message that I typed to you yesterday. <laughs> I said, this book is like very horny, but also morose. And I wish there were less incest in it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so not no incest, but less, uh-huh. less incest. It also, it also sounds like the, whatever this hidden world, hidden city is, reminds me of the like dream magic dimension in that book the magicians which also was that big popular show that people like a lot um that i didn't know that i love that book but it had a like an alternate 
magic dimension that you could go into and the rules were a little timey-wimey on like how you could get mm-hmm. there sure. and stuff like that so how wait so what is pal obsessed and how do you get there so it's it is a dreamy it's a dream city and you get there by having sex with somebody who has already been there okay um, the, and the the source of this it, it is up for debate but the only version of the like mythology that we get of this involves like a village with magic in like Africa I think sure and and that person was like patient zero for palimpsest it's one of the things that make me a little uncomfortable about this book is like the it is you do get into this magical land that everybody seems really eager to get into but also a lot of the language around the around getting into it and then the the language around like getting wanting to get back to it is really like sexually transmitted city describes part of it okay and then i think a, like the the language of addiction i think is used like like people's mm. people ruin their lives and bodies to, to get, get there more palimpsest and it's not always clear why they would do that to an outsider which i think is is very like addicty you know yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. very it's very much the the same way that that you would look at like a, a heroin addict or or yeah something like that yeah so does valenti give you the reader access to why palimpsest is so cool or is it more about the people who are struggling to get back there? There is. So th- this is one of the the points where I think the book maybe could have done a better job. Because honestly, like par- some of what we get of Palimpsest makes it seem like it kind of sucks. <laughs> like it's you, you, th- there was this war that happened like 10 or 12 years ago. And one of the, uh, the holdovers of this war one of the reminders that it happened are all these people who had like animal parts grafted up onto themselves yeah some of them like the the grafts didn't take and so you've got like a cat person who's like jaw is always like bloody and trying to fall off because their body's trying to reject like the cat implant that they got. oh my god <laughs> Um, so that's that's pretty uncomfortable. And then you you get a view of like the aristocracy and their view of immigrants, which is what they how they talk about people from our world who get into palimpsest. It's it's very like very touristy, very like, oh, I hear you got here through rutting <laughs> is literally a thing that some like aristocrat lady at a restaurant says. Okay. Like, oh, I hear you live in dumpsters and you get here through common rotting. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that. Okay. All right. Does anybody leave? Does anybody from Palimpsest leave it ever? No. Okay. No, no, that's not a thing. Um, I mean, you do get. I'll talk talk about this later. Um, Just remind me if I don't come back to it. Like the, the only sort of thread of Palimpsest to real world communication rather than the other way around. around. Okay. Sure. Um, So yeah, like it, it, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a great place, but the people who visit there do sure seem to like it. And so we just, you know, (laughs) to, to 
It is an exclusive club. It seems it's an exclusive like. club, and I think just the the strangeness of it is part of the allure. Um, Valenti is also doing this thing where she is talking. She talks about real world cities in in a certain way, and and New York is the big one. But she also talks about Rome in this way a little bit too, where she says she she says like the, these cities have been so frequented by tourists and so like portrayed in different forms of art. Like they've, they've been so well documented and recorded that what is actually there can't possibly like be, I I, I don't know even, I don't even know if I, I would say that it, it, it's that the city can't live up to the reputation that it has in art, but it's sort of like, it's been so, drawn upon as a location by people and by art that like what's left isn't really real anymore. Like it's yeah. got no substance left to it because all of its substance, substance has been sort of like leached out. Sure. Which does definitely sound like somebody from New York talking about New York. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so there was, it reminds me of, um, there was a, I think it was a 99% invisible episode a year or so ago about how there's like, the one alley in New York that they use to shoot all of the alley scenes in all movies and TV ever mm-hmm. because there aren't alleys like that in New York. Right, yeah. And all of the garbage in it is like handcrafted by PAs to like create mm-hmm. this illusion of what you think dirty New York is from the stories that you've read and watched. Right. Yeah, and, and if you go, th- and I suppose like the point that you're getting to is that like, the people who live there don't experience this fantasy version of the city. They're just trying to live their lives, but they're constantly colliding with people who are here on vacation or whatever it might be, which I'm, I'm certainly aware of whenever I go. I don't know. Philly has a good vibe of like, this is our city. I don't know what you're doing here. Well, but, but I think about that when I when I've been in like Las Vegas or New oh, Orleans sure. is like people live in these places. Mm, and they mm-hmm. they do have a rep your reputation as like a party destination, but like people live in these places. Yeah. It's, it, this book doesn't quite do that sort of stuff. Um, so this is a description of Rome that I think gets to what I'm talking about. Uh, he should have been above a place so well trampled by the tiresome and well-meaning that it could possess no molecule of its original self, only the cells of their bored and time-strapped bodies squinting in centuries of suns. So very like anti-touristy. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like anti-passersby, anti-people who've just come there to to see what they've heard about and not to do anything else. Well, and okay, so that builds a bridge, it sounds like, to like, is it is it objectively good that these people are doing all these different things to get their way to Palimpsest? Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you're talking about, <laughs> talking to. If you're, if there are, there are different schools of thought among the like Palimpsest goers in the real world. And there are, I mean, there was literally a war fought over it in Palimpsest. Okay. Um, but there is, so this is a conversation between one of the four main characters, Oleg and somebody who he has had sex with to get into Palimpsest and just talking about like the allure of it. And this is a, this is the thing with Palimpsest, the city is I think you get told not shown a lot in a way that didn't always satisfy me, but we don't need to like hammer on that too much. Sure. But, um, 
Oh, Oleg, he said, you don't understand. Here, nothing means anything. It's all just random. Men and women and buildings and holidays and dinners and streets. It's all flat. It's like it's missing a dimension deeper than depth. The dimension of ritual. There, everything means something. Even dinner. Even a time clock. Hmm. And so, like, this... this, I... And I don't know if Valenti means to be conveying this, but I do feel like the the novelty and the like you can't have this all the time of palimpsest is one of the things that maybe drives people to have this attitude toward it and to like assign this meaning to it. But that I, I that is sort of subtext that I am reading into it. I think that that's not something that it's, I'm necessarily being like invited to think. I don't know. It it sounds itself. like. Well, it's certainly not a thing that I read about a lot in folks writing about this book. So it's it's interesting. This feels like a thing that would come up in a cool book club about Palimpsest, which is our show right now. Um, yeah. It doesn't. Most of what I've read about is the like the novelty of the you bone someone who's been there, and then a map appears on your body, sort of. Yep. Which mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, and I got like, are there mi- like. <laughs> If you like, can you get palimpsest from sitting on a toilet seat? Like, is there are there <laughs> are there like, other ways? There, what's the what's the version of like sixth grade sex ed class, but for catching palimpsest from somebody? <laughs> you know, like I I, I presume the, the book the, never explains why the, this is the way it works. I guess the no the I mean oh so the war that happened is. There is this woman named Casimira who is a it's she's she's a higher up in Palimpsest. She always seems at least sort of like vaguely nefarious in her dealings and her intentions, though, to call her a bad guy or a villain, I think, would be to give the book an overarching conflict that it doesn't quite have. Okay, But she is in charge of like manufacturing bugs and like rats and mice and the kind kind of animals and things that you would see in a city. So this, <laughs> this is what I was talking about before when I was talking about like palimpsest to real world communication is this, all of these like bugs and vermin and whatever that she manufactures are sort of her children in a way. And she has a link to them. So anytime you get like stung by a bee or like a mouse looks at you, like she knows what's going on and it gives her a knowledge of, one of our main characters in particular, but it it gives her a window into the real world that, that, I mean, a lot of people in Palimpsest don't even seem necessarily interested in doing this. So there was, there was a war fought between like Casimira and her machines essentially. And this other group of people who there used to be other ways into Palimpsest from the real world, Mm. but Bad people started getting in. Basically, the capitalists started getting in. Oh, and no. they started, like, people, the, the book says literally, like, people who knew the world empire is, is basically people who came there to exploit it and to conquer it. Okay. And so Casimira and these people who were, because Casimira had all these, like, super strong animals and stuff that she made, <laughs> the other side were the people who were the humans who, like, cut their faces off and gave themselves, like, shark jaws and stuff. Oh, street sharks. Oh, no. <laughs> because she knew it was kind of street shark situation (laughs) um but these two sides fought to a truce basically where the sex way is the only way this is the way 
big enough for people to get into Palimpsest anymore. Okay. Okay. So that I mean that is why that is why sex. That is why like sex. The, the mechanics of why sex are not really explained. But that that's why the, that's the particular way that well that can get in and they the, it sounds like they made it a thing that does have a like to what you said earlier could potentially require people to like really consider the impact of what they're doing. Like it could have no, an effect. Everybody's on so them. horny to get in a palimpsest that they don't even care. Like people who are not, um, not gay or bi, like have same sex. Okay. Sex. <laughs> like, sure. People do. There is one guy whose sister bones him because she is one of the people who just wants to spread palimpsest as far and wide as she can and get everybody in there. There is one relationship where this, this uh, it's probably just better to describe our four main characters at this point. But yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the, it, it doesn't seem like people are considering the circumstances. And this is where the language of like addiction comes in. Yeah, okay. It's like people ruin their bodies, people get pregnant and sometimes have abortions and sometimes don't. Like people sort of throw consequences to the wind because they want to get back into palimpsest. And the first time they get there, it's not even a thing that they maybe know what they're doing. Like the, the first night they go there, it just seems like maybe it's maybe it's a dream. But boy, my wife has this neat tattoo I've never seen before. And I'm really, you know, I'm really interested in Sign me up. Having intercourse with you because and this tattoo is so weird and mesmerizing. <laughs> okay, it's like a, it is a magic tat. I mean, it's. I mean, I guess it's sort of a magic tat. But it, the the way that you know somebody, the way you know for sure that somebody's been to Palmcest, other than their just general vibe, which is also a way that I think some people know. Okay, is they do get a tattoo somewhere on their body, and you can't pick where it is. One of our main characters does get it on her face, and everybody's like, "Oh, that sucks for you." Oh no! <laughs> oh my god! I hadn't even considered that. Yeah. Right. Oh no! I like knew about the the mystery tattoo thing. No, it's like not always on your butt or somewhere <laughs> where you can like hide it with sleeves. Do you get and you don't get to control like what part is tattooed? Like you could just no. get like a bad restaurant on your butt or something. I bet. Yeah, yeah. You can get like, like what if you got the Times Square of Palimpsest ah! on you, and that was the only place you could go. Ah! Is you just went to the Palimpsest version of the Guy Fieri restaurant over and over again, <laughs> and that was all you could do. It's a shame that restaurant. Sounds like it sucks because he seems like a cool dude, Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri, I think it closed, which is too bad. That is too bad. But every time I go to a diner, drive-in, or dive, or I put too much mustard on something, I will think about Guymond Fieri, which is his full name. Is that it? I believe. No, I made that up. His middle name is Grocery Games. <laughs> Guy Grocery Games Fieri. <laughs> he calls his main show Triple D, and he calls his Grocery Games show Triple G. That's... The branding is thorough. Anywho, yeah. do you think he's been to Palimpsest? <laughs> I think Flavortown <laughs> exists on a similar plane to Palimpsest. <laughs> and you have to eat like a big greasy meat sandwich to get there. Yes. 
and when and the the way and, and then you wake up and you have frosted tips and it's because you've been to it's because you've been to Flavortown. Whoa, <laughs> we cracked it. All right, tell us about the characters in Palimpsest. We haven't really talked about them. We mentioned Oleg. What's Oleg's deal? Yeah, so to, to to the extent that there is an overarching narrative, you are dealing with these four characters and their various things. Um, Oleg is a Russian-born locksmith in New York City who is haunted by the ghost of his older sister who drowned in a river when they were kids. Um, that sounds so very she straightforward is, to me. <laughs> she, this is one, this is the other incest. Oh, in Palimpsest is like from the jump, her ghost has grown up, mm. but her clothes are still little kid clothes. Mm. And so she's just wearing this little red dress that doesn't leave much to the imagination. And she does like whenever she talks, like some of the river that she drowned in, like trickles out of her mouth. My God, Valenti's but brain is it's a it's a on weird overdrive. Place to be. It's a weird place to be. But when he does go to Palimpsest and he does meet his sister there, or is she? The first thing he does is like, "Dang, she's fine." No. Dang. Ooh. Dang. Dang. I love to get with my sister. Oh well. <laughs> so, man. So that's a okay. And he's a he's a very sensitive locksmith, and you know that he's a sensitive boy <laughs> because he can tell. Even if they don't like go together, he can tell the locks and the keys that vibe, you know? Yeah. Like this, yeah, this really I, yeah, fancy lock and this like crappy brass key really are like singing out for each other. So I'm just going to pair them up in my private collection of locks and keys. He's a locksmith. Yeah, he's a locksmith, if you know what I mean. I do. Uh, uh, you have November, who she's a, an anxious beekeeper who finds it easier to to express her thoughts via written lists like she she is very introverted but she mm. ends up ironically being sort of a great communicator or like a a bridge of the gap between the two worlds okay in a way um you have a uh, ludovico or ludo who is an italian bookbinder who is in a marriage that he doesn't realize is unhappy, which is why it's an unhappy marriage. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Um, and his his wife, he notices, has the palimpsest tattoo, and he, they have sex, and she gives it to him, but then she disappears. And so he's trying to, like, figure out where she went and, and like, chases down, a, a, like, a past lover of hers who has the palimpsest tattoo, and, like, she is, she is chosen to just, like, leave him for somebody who is into palimpsest, and they just spend all their time in palimpsest Can I together. ask a question that maybe yes. you, maybe you said earlier, but I guess I don't really know if you did. Sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So you get the palimpsest tattoo. Mm-hmm. How do you actually get there? You gotta do it. No. No, you did do you it, do, and you, you got do the tattoo. It, you do it, and the and the book fades to black. Okay, and then you're there, and then you're there, and there is a uh, like a 
subhead that is the <laughs> like the intersection of streets in Palimpsest where you are. Okay. And then you're just in Palimpsest. Okay, cool. Okay. I wasn't sure. But it, the the implication is that you fall asleep and you're in Palimpsest. And then like you fall asleep in Palimpsest and you wake up and you're not there anymore or something. I don't even know that it's necessarily that you you fall asleep in in Palimpsest. It's just it is said a few times that it is a world that can't exist for people when the sun is up in our world. So, yeah. Okay. 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 Um, okay. Um, but yeah, like people like Oleg especially gets so like deep into the addicty stuff where he's just like he's trying to sleep all the time, trying to sleep so much that it doesn't like it's not restorative anymore. He's got like a bed sores. It's it's not it's kind of it's bad. Yeah. OK. And then you have uh, Sei, who is a young Japanese woman who is obsessed with public transit. The first <laughs> chapter of the book. I do love public transit, though. Writing, a, I do love public transit. Her riding a train in Japan, and she sees this guy, and he has a book about trains, and she reads some of the book about trains, and they both get so horny for trains that they have sex on the train. And I didn't know that part of why they were horny is the mysterious, like, palimpsest aphrodisiac energy thing that happens to people. You just thought they were super into trains. Man, these people love trains, huh? (laughs) What kind of book is this going to be? Think about, uh, like, trains going through tunnels Mm. and, like, locks going into keys. Yeah, the express versus the local. You know what I mean? You know, changing mm-hmm. tracks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the stand back, the doors are closing and whatnot. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ex- exact fair only. <laughs> yeah. If you just... Mm. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to say what I thought. Yeah, what did you think? It's like, if you see something, say something. Like, Sure. Like, if you see good boobies, say, like, dang, those are good boobies. Yeah. On the sex, on the sex train. On the sex train. All aboard. Woo woo. <laughs> People around the world join hands. <laughs> okay. It's the love train. So how do these so, four characters, why are they all in the book together? What? <laughs> So, okay. You can't be in Palimpsest permanently mm. if you're an immigrant, or can you? Because uh. apparently it is hypothesized that you have three other people and you form a quarto. And if you four can get together in the real world somehow, you can all emigrate to Palimpsest permanently. permanently. Do you ha- wait? Do all four of you, you have to bone at the same time? See, that also is not clear. Is not made clear if it's some kind of human centipede situation. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what that movie's about. No, I know. (laughs) I'm just thinking about other ways to connect a bunch of people together. This is episode need the explicit tag. I'm really. You might want to put the explicit tag on this one just to be safe. You know, um, this is a book with some adult situations. So these four people all go through a lot of stuff like Oleg. It is very strongly implied that he his his the ghost of his dead sister isn't actually appearing to him in real life. He is just mad. Ah, okay. From a lifetime of isolation and trauma and stuff. 
November has a couple of her fingers cut off and she has a tattoo on her face and she gets stung by a bunch of bees because she's because she's a beekeeper in the real world. So all of Casimira's like mechanical animal bees all love her. But she does get stung by them a lot and she is kind of queen of the bees. And so she like can talk with them and they can talk with her and they all have like a good bee time. But she is described multiple times toward the end of the book as a ruin of a woman. Ooh. <laughs> because she is so disfigured by her bees. Her, uh, yeah, bees. <laughs> Uh, Ludo, like I said, is looking for his wife. She does not want to be found. They do have an interaction where she is like, I, this is, you get the idea that he only wants to come to Palimpsest permanently because she says, this is my space and you can't have it. And I was stupid to even give you entry to this Mm. world because I thought you were so self-absorbed and so caught up in all your little stuff that you wouldn't even know what was happening and you would never follow me here and find me here. Huh. And then uh, some of the weirdest stuff in the book is about the public transit in (laughs) In, Palmcest. Sign me up for the sex town transit bus. Because all the trains are like living creatures and you can't. And so what I did like about this is it does kind of match my experience of actual public transit is that like you never know when you never know when the train is going to come. You have to get really, really into trains to like fully understand them and to quote, like catch a train in the morning more often than you do not catch a train. Yeah. <laughs> because the trains are all like willful, random creatures that kind of show up when they want to show up. And sometimes they get horny too and they have sex with each other and they Wait. make new trains. <laughs> Horny trains. I was really into the metaphor about trains having a mind of their own. I was so not ready for the trains to also be having sex. Yeah, this well, book rules. What's it's happening? a horny book. It's a horny book. Yeah, I'm just gonna read a bunch of this stuff about trains to you. That's great. <laughs> six express tracks and twelve locals pass through Palimpsest. The six greater lines are stylus, sugraffito, decretal, fool's cap, bookhand, and missile. Collectively, in the prayers of those gathered prostrate in the brass turnstiles of its hidden voluptuous shrines, these are referred to as the marginalia line. They do not run on time. Rather, the commuters of Palimpsest have learned their habits, the times of day and night when they prefer to eat and drink, their mating seasons, their gathering places. In days of old, great safaris were held to catch the great trains and their exact inexorable passage from place to place and women grappled with them with hooks and tridents in order to arrive punctually at a desk in the depths of the city. As if to impress a distracted parent on their birthday, the folk of Palimpsest built great edifices where the trains liked to congregate to drink oil from the earth and exchange gossip. (laughs) They laid black track along the carriage's migratory patterns. Trains are creatures of routine, though they are also peevish and curmudgeonly. Thus, the transit system of Palimpsest was raised up around the huffing behemoths that traversed its heart, and the trains have not yet expressed displeasure. Uh, To ride them is still an exercise in hunterly passion and exactitude, for they are unpredictable and must be observed for many weeks before patterns can be discerned. (laughs) The sport of commuting is attempted by only the bravest and the wildest of palimpsests. Many have achieved such a level of aptitude that they are able to catch a train more mornings than they do not. (laughs) 
which just sounds like the experience of riding trains yes, in a major American city. What a fun, whimsical way to talk about trains that maybe also are horny animals. Oh, I'm so into it. <laughs> oh, this is fun. This is like what if this is like running a GURPS RPG where you're just like, what if a city, but it's all alive and, <laughs> and you roll a D6 to have well, sex with a train? And then when November shows up like early on in Palimpsest and like bees come and befriend her, befriend her, and they all go into a clothing store and all the bees like fly into a dress and she's just like walking around with this like dress that's like a like a bee person, like a dress full of bees that's moving around like it's a person. The the thing the stuff about this book that gets me is like this weird stuff. Yeah. This weird, super creative, off the wall, like very, very like sometimes very funny, sometimes just very like visually memorable imagery mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it makes. And then where it loses me is the fact that not like it's very floaty and the plot doesn't really, it kind of runs on, doesn't really go anywhere. There's no specific villain. It's not clear whether these four trying to get into Palimpsest, which they I think do is a, good thing or a bad thing or if they're being manipulated by somebody in some way or is it, it, it the book is just not interested with that kind of stuff yes and i guess that's that i feel like talking about the train thing really <laughs> sums up a lot about what this book is doing <laughs> so but yeah like it, it's not that i it's it's definitely not that i disliked it it's just that i kept waiting for there to be like a a heightened like if mm. if you're thinking about the the storyline of a of a book as like a roller coaster as or as a like a line graph or something with like peaks and valleys, I kept expecting it to especially once I got like sixty seventy percent of the way in, I kept expecting there to be some kind of incident that drove the rest of the action in the book now that the like the world building had been done and the and the character building had been done. And each of the characters in their own way has a small like moment of denouement and they all like something sacrificed. Yeah. And they all have sacrificed a lot for like themselves and for each other to get into Palimpsest in the first place. Like sometimes physically, sometimes psychologically, sometimes a little bit of both. I wonder Um, if that's a result of it being conceived as a short story, like as a a meditation on an idea and a premise and some thematic concepts and like a lot of the writing that I read and reviews that I found were like the positive ones were like really into the language, which you've shared a bunch of like really interesting, immersive, detailed stuff. Um, the, I've read an interesting article about the Lambda awards um, from Lee Mandelo on tour.com talking about the fluidity of sex and relationships. Um, it's not about, this is a quote, it's not about being gay or straight. It's about the place sex occupies for people and the purposes it can serve, as well as the drastic negatives that result from tangling your lives together erotically and otherwise, which I think we've talked about. And like you've spoken to how that might not make for a like pleasurable reading experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it sounds like maybe it, it, it didn't, add up to a plot driven reading experience either it was more yeah. like a riff on it or something it's it, it's it it ends up in this weird thing where you get the sense that uh valenti is more interested in the city but also 
the city is so like vague and, and dreamy. And, and because you can only visit the place on your tattoo, like you get a lot of scenes of like, Oh, this is what Palimpsest's like financial district is like. You, you get a lot of little chunks, but you don't, you don't ever get a good picture of the whole, which is, which is, I think is part of the point, but also yeah. is not like for a book that's more interested in the city itself. And the city does become sort of a character in a way that, that I don't, we don't really need to get into for, for the purposes of our discussion, but the that, city does appear to many of our characters as something that they really want or need. Oh, um, that that is perhaps a little bit more than just a city that they want to visit. Yeah, right, yeah, right. right. Okay. Like, like they they do have, but the the you know these are small fleeting moments toward the end of the end of the book. And sure. It's, I don't know. I don't know, but. What was my, I lost my train of thought. Well, my, my train of thought is I can't predict when it's going to show up or where it's going to go. I can only, I can only guess. I um, I found a review from um, the story and the truth dot wordpress dot com. I don't know what else is on that website. Um, that was one of the not as positive ones that I read and a telling quote is, for instance, it is clear from the outset that Palimpsest is an ugly and unsettling city. You've alluded to that. Um, reading 300 pages of four people figuring it out for themselves is a thoroughly leaden experience. So that seems to be like the other end of the spectrum of people who were just like, I kind of got it, and then I didn't need any more. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, the book is, I don't know, it, set, it sets Palimpsest up as this this big thing that people really want to get back to but then it seems like all the characters the 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 joy that they find is in like finding a group that they feel they belong in even though they have like very little in, in common like they all have this weird palimpsest related link to each other and they seem like they find peace and happiness in that mm. but that is not like it does not establish why the city itself is a place where anybody would want to spend any time at all. Like it sounds sure. like it sounds like a it sounds like Panem basically, like <laughs> right down to the weird animal related cosmetic surgery. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and it sounds like this weird aristocratic like hellhole that I don't. But that feels like an inherent tension to the style of story where it's like it's. And you were talking about addiction language earlier, too, right? Where it's like, it is a thing that is pretty on its face bad, but like the exclusivity of it and the limited access to it um, give it an appeal that like perhaps overrides its actual quality. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I want to shift into our uh, closing segment here, Andrew. Um, I have many star Goodreads reviews here for us to discuss real quick. What are, are some of them three stars? Some of them are. Three star Goodreads reviews. Okay, go. Great. We'll start with a three star review from Allison um, who, who talked about the writing and the wordplay and the originality, didn't love some of the sex stuff, found it a little off-putting, um, but said, what a strange book. I love Valenti's silvery magical prose and the way she weaves the everyday with the bizarre in a way that makes all the bizarre things seem commonplace and the everyday things seem electric. But even with all that, this book felt a bit more like someone retelling you their dream upon waking than it felt like crossing viscerally into that dream. That's an extremely specific and relatable <laughs> way to describe something like it's a story that you feel like you have a lot invested in but you can't 
necessarily convey why it's interesting I, to the person you're I, talking to. I hope she's not mad at me for sharing this. Laura told me about a dream the other day where literally I, all she could tell me was that she was we were in a house that was not our house, but in the dream it was our house. Mm-hmm. And all the bedrooms in the attached bathrooms, there were two showers. <laughs> And it, I mean, we have a bathroom like that in our real house, and the other shower is just storage space. Now we don't use it for showering. She was just like, all the bathrooms had two showers. And I was like, anything else? She was like, no, that was the whole dream. Were I mean, did, were they different? Was one like a stand-up shower and one's like a bathtub no, shower they, at least, they, or was that each each bathroom had like two distinct, I guess, identical showers in them. That's strange. That is strange. That's a weird one. Yeah. Um, this... Would not have sex with a stranger to get to that dream world. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Sandy, another three-star review, said, I give this book three stars because I'm not sure if I liked it or not. The writing is evocative and poetic. It captures the surreal quality of dreams perfectly. The desperation got to me. It was depressing, and I never did quite figure out why the characters wanted to be a part of of palimpsest so much yeah that's that's my big thing too especially because you run into like a character like one character in particular who is with oleg who like was in palimpsest and then decided she didn't want to be there anymore Mm. and watching her sort of deteriorate while trying to take care of oleg is very like I, I was going about my business and then I relapsed and my life is like yeah. effectively in, in tatters because I've been re-exposed to this thing through you. Like it is not the train thing is it, it's weird. Like stuff like the train thing and the B like the B person, it's sort of whimsical in a way. And then it gets like really real in a way that yeah, is. Yeah. In, in a way that's like, can, am I, should I be having fun with this? Like this seems really uncomfortable and bad for everybody. Well, so the so I'll close on this five star review from Bradley, um, who says never. Ima- I don't have a song for that. Never imagine that this is anything other than brilliant. But then again, never imagine it is easy. This book is a lover that will show you all her dark secrets and then leave you as soon as she makes you hold her hair so that she may vomit over the side of your bed. Bradley is into this complicated metaphor about a book that is beautiful but puking. <laughs> and I get like I think what the <laughs> the your struggle with this book sounds like a thing that some people are really enjoying or or like are saying I value this experience even if it might have mm-hmm. been tough or um I liked these parts and this other part was maybe like those characters were going through rough stuff and like, I'm happy I read that or something. Um, Bradley just likes puke books. I don't know what Bradley's deal is. I think, I it, I think it's the, some of it is that Palimpsest just feels like it's the, it's the specific kind of like, there are some rules, but it's also dreamy and bouncy enough. Like it, it kind of wants to be the backdrop for like an anthology series or a short series of like unrelated short stories that all use this as their common like thread or common location rather than trying to be one long novel that is purporting to tell one big story. Yeah. But the, the story ends up being, I think slightly less than the sum of its parts in the end. If you come to it and just like take away the character portraits and the backdrop 
like you might get more out of it than coming to it looking for and it's all gonna wrap up you just you just do a more limited character backdrop and because the stories are shorter you like when it just kind of peters out at the end you don't feel as sort of well, that's it. Like, is that, mm. is this the, is, was there a second one planned? Like, was there another <laughs> sure. one where, where this narrative action was going to peak in some way? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, t- I, mean, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. And, and we've like, I feel like we've actually read a few more short story E or novels structured as a series of vignettes this year than in recent years. And so I feel like I have a sense of like, how this book might be doing that in some places and failing to honor that in others. Um, I'm thinking of like uh, Lovecraft country even actually as like a book that feels like a bunch of discrete episodes that does have a plot. Um, I think the, the Friday black book that I read is sort of like that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, thanks for telling me about these horny trains. (laughs) I was so happy to tell you about horny trains. I had no none of no article I'd read about this book had mentioned the horny train, so it was a pure surprise for me. Listen, yeah, this is why you actually have to read the thing and not just get your news from the lamestream media. No. Lamestream media doesn't want to tell you about the horny trains. That's true, they don't. They also don't want to tell you about public transit. Anyway, email us your favorite train stories at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll read them. Send them also to Facebook and Twitter.com slash OverduePod. Those are our primary social media feeds. Thanks to Psyduck, B Buttercup, Tara, MBK, Lucas, Derek, Scotty, Alex, Soaps, Rose, Maya, Sydney, Eric, Courtney, Benji, Brad, Holly, and many more. A lot of folks sharing their uh, like year-end Spotify lists that sh- that showed us on there. We do appreciate that. We yeah, don't. That's very flattering. Um, you know, and they're like flattering company to be in on some of those lists. And certainly if you listen to us elsewhere, we really appreciate you wherever you listen to our show. Thanks to Nick Lorandis who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks do want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website presence up there. We have links to Apple podcasts, uh, Google, our RSS feed, we're also on Stitcher and Spotify and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. Uh, up on our website, we have a list of books that we have read and that we are going to read. If you click the links that we provide, you will get a link to a page on bookshop.org, which is a way you can buy the books that we're talking about and also support your local independent bookseller. So I think that's a win-win-win for everybody. Yep. You get a book, they get money, and we also get money. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we're talking about uh, Never Tell. By Selena Montgomery. Yeah, tell them about our whole December schedule, Craig. Oh, dang. I'll do that again. Because um, it's December now. It is, oh, my God. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, so we just read Palimpsest by Catherine M. Valenti. Next week, we're talking about Never Tell by Selena Montgomery, which is the nom de plume of Stacey Abrams. Uh, we'll have our guest Sophie Brookover with us for that one. Following that, The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell, and our bonus episode for the month is Twas the Knife Before Christmas by Jacqueline Frost. If you have not gone back and listened to it, we did uh, release Genie Babies episodes five and six on the main feed this past weekend. Uh, We skipped ahead to the story of The Hunchback, which is really just a weekend of Bernie's prequel, so go listen to that, and we'll have more of that on the main feed shortly. I think that's it, Andrew. Cool. Get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until we talk to you next week, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.